And we're live with the I Just Want This Done podcast. I'm Rafe Palmer, and with me, is, as always, is Rahul Iyer. How's it going? Hey, how are you, Rafe? Good to be here. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. So, uh, got an interesting show for people today. We always like to keep it juicy. So, we've got you got something here uh, you want to talk about. What's this thing about Britney Spears? Well, hey, you know, as uh, for whatever reason, ever since we started this podcast, every week we have uh, someone getting divorced from Hollywood fame. So. Yeah. This week, it's Britney and Sam Asghari. Or I don't need to explain who Britney Spears is. I'm guessing so. So who Sam Asghari? Yeah, well, who's huh? who's Sam Asghari? I haven't heard of this guy. This guy was her uh, fitness instructor, essentially, uh, back when she was uh, as part of her conserv- uh, conservatorship, and that was uh, that was part of her life for more than a decade. So eventually, you know, in June 22, I think. She got married after that whole conservator, uh, conservatorship was lifted, and she got married to this guy. They were dating for a while while she was still sort of in that whole space. Yeah. And from all accounts, they had a prenup, and now they're getting divorced. I think she – sorry, go ahead. No, and she's been in residency in Vegas for a long time, right? That's my understanding. Oh, yeah. That, that was her thing, yep. And um, I think one of the big things was that her dad was controlling all that and controlling the flow of money and – one of her points was he is controlling my life. He's controlling my money. I don't, you know, there's no reason for this. I'd like to get married. I'd like to have a child. She got married. I don't think she had any kids with this guy. This is her third marriage. Um, can't remember the first marriage, exactly who it was with. Second one was Kevin Federline. Oh, K-Fed. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yep. 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 Uh, first one. He can't really recall. And I, but uh, How old is she now? Let's Google she that. She is. We'll have to see. We want to get all the juice for you. But forty-one years old, born in eighty-one. Okay. There you go. Yeah. We're we're getting the scoop for our our folks out there listening. So. No, I think this is great. <laughs> we want all the hot and... details. <laughs> so what's so, the, what's the deal with this one? Like, uh, there's a prenup, and I'm sure. Well, I don't know, but I'm guessing she got she somebody was smart and helped her get a decent prenup. Oh, I'm sure. So. As sort of dysfunctional as a lot of, not saying anybody's dysfunctional, but it's sort of from the outside perspective, we feel like people in Hollywood make big, quick moves. Like, oh, I'm going to go get married to this guy. But seemingly, everyone we encounter typically has an ironclad prenup in place. So it tells you that even the handlers or the people behind the scenes are usually making sure that all the affairs are in order to make sure there's no such issue. So she also has a prenup. This article doesn't uh, <clears throat> give us too much information on what exactly is happening. Uh, and so we'll make sure we can update this as, yeah. as needed when we get a little bit more scoop. But safe to say that he wants some spousal maintenance, which is also known as alimony, right. from her. So we'll see how far that gets. We don't know how that conflicts or is on in line with the prenup, but TBD, I guess. Yeah, typically you'll see prenups that you know reduce or control maintenance or alimony. So won't be surprised if there's a waiver of maintenance or some controlled number in there sort of like you know in costner there was a fixed amount there was no maintenance in there but his wife gets a fixed amount of a cash payment basically and maybe there's something similar well, well when we get the details we'll share them but um one of the interesting side notes here is nevada is a community property state one of the few community property states in the u.s i think there are nine eight or nine and so yep. occasionally in our social media, we'll get people commenting because I usually talk about Illinois stuff, which and the rest of the majority of the states, which are equitable division states, not community property. And I'll always get comments saying, well, that's not what it is in my state. And I say, yes, I know. I know. We're talking about <laughs> equitable division and community property. And one interesting thing in community property is that I think it's default 50-50 yes. of, of the community, which is what we would kind of consider marital, right? Right. And a note, very, very noteworthy is, is Nevada, where you have a lot of celebrity. California, where you have a lot of celebrity. Texas, where you have a lot of celebrity. Arizona. Yeah. So all these southwestern sort of that um, southwestern states in the bottom of the United States, I think, follow that old regime or that different regime. Yeah. And my understanding is when a divorce case is filed, it stops creation of new community property, which is different than a marital or equitable division state where 
in Illinois, you keep creating marital property all the way till the end of the divorce. Until you're done being divorced, you're still creating marital property. Or I mean, until the judgment is entered, I should say. Interesting. So I was reading, and this guy is a personal trainer. However, they met in 2016 when he was in her music video for Slumber Party. And um, not sure if he was her personal trainer or not, but he was a personal trainer. And and the first marriage for her was her childhood friend, Jason Allen, Alexander. Oh. That was annulled after a few days in 2004. A few days. And then, okay. Yep. Well, and wasn't Kay Fett so. a dancer in her crew? Yep. And she was married to him. Uh, I think she had two kids with him and were married for two years, is my understanding. Yeah, they were all over the tabloids for a while, if I remember right. Um, shout out to my mom who loves getting like us magazine and people and they were like splashed all of pages of those magazines. Okay. Um, next is, I think kind of related to that, I think ties into that pretty well is the, um, the great separation. So recently I was interviewed by, or, or contributed to an article by uh, a person for the New York post, uh, Brooke Cato wrote this article that just came out on the 17th, just yesterday. And the article title is, and this will be all in the show notes, The Great Separation, Summer Divorce is a Hollywood Epidemic. And Brooke's question to me and a, a couple other lawyers in here, but asked me was, uh, what's going on? Like, why does it seem like there's all these divorces in, in the summer, especially celebs? Like, is there something unusual going on? And what is your experience as a divorce lawyer? So I answered the question in the article, and I was quoted in here, uh, talked about, you know, the the announcements are not really unusual based on our experience that uh, what I said was, you know, when you think this through, it's pretty typical that divorce is seasonal. And, uh-huh. you know, we've certainly seen that in, in our business. And in fact, I did a little homework and I found an article in the New York Times uh, this is by Derek Taylor back in 2020, and we'll have this one linked too. I'm sure we give credit to folks. Um, it, Derek mentioned a study in 2016 conducted by University of Washington analyzing divorce filings in Washington State from 01 to 15, found they peaked in March and August following the winter and summer holidays. And, you know, I'm sure that's what your experience has been. It certainly has been mine that um, we always know it gets quiet. In May, it at back to school or when when school's about to end, graduations and weddings and everything, it all quiets down, and then it starts to ramp up after that's all done. So midsummer, people are past all the graduations and weddings, and they say that's it. I want to get started, and they reach out to contact us, and we get very busy, typically for a little bit at the, in June, but then May quiets down for vacations. August gets busy. Then we're in back like right now. Yeah, right now we're right. very busy with new cases. It'll be quiet for a little bit with back to school, but then September, October get very busy, and then it slows down for the holidays. Then it picks up again in January after the holidays. Because they don't want to be married for Valentine's yeah. Day, so they try to get it done beforehand. Yeah, they want to, They at least want to get filed. You know, They know the case is going to take a long time maybe, but they want to get the thing on file and get it off their minds. And But people don't want to start a case like during the holidays, and they don't want to start a case – in the middle of when their kids are about to graduate high school. So you see these, it's almost a sine wave uh, going up and down where these filings come in waves and it's true for celebrities too. You know, it's, they're no different. So I wasn't surprised to see these announcements coming in sort of midsummer into August. And a couple of them were, were right in January. Like we said, like the Costner thing started like, I think in January, mid or late January. So um, and with celebrities as well, I should, and I think you might have seen this, Rafe, is with celebrities, athletes, you know, before they get into a new project or they get into, or they have a new contract with a new sports team, they'll get the divorce done or they'll start filing for it anyway, because they want to sort of leave this behind as they go there or that whatever remuneration they might receive, they don't want to jeopardize that. So they'd want to begin a process before signing. So these yep. could be possible milestone markers as well for for them in that world. Yeah, and that ties into our discussion we just had about community property. If the filing is gonna stop accruing community property, then you absolutely wanna file before 
you get that new contract, you get that deal for a film or whatever, because it's going to cut it off. And now you've at least limited the damage. So, uh, yeah, pretty interesting on that. And uh, that is really interesting. And thanks. Also wanted to thank um, New, York, New York Post for featuring me and Brooke Cato. Very much appreciate uh, doing that. And uh, always happy to come on again and, and answer questions if we can. So, um, and she commented on uh, the link to the book, which I appreciate. So I just want this done for those of you who may not know. <laughs> uh, it's tough. That's the name of the book. That's not what he's saying. That's the name of the podcast. book, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's the name of the pod. So we we're uh, we're tying it together. So okay, a couple other things that I think were. Um, one of the things that you had, you had a couple interesting things. I think it's interesting that this ties into the seasonality. You had an interesting article you were going to talk about regarding like the number one issue that people have getting the, why they're getting divorced. Yeah. Uh, so in the uh, psychology and relationship section of um, a CNBC production of uh, CNBC, essentially read an article that was published on August 15th. So a few days ago, they said this is the number one conflict in relationships of 46% of divorced couples, and it wasn't about money. So I thought this was very interesting. So, And, and we can, again, link this in the show notes for people who want to read about it, or maybe we can pull it up or have it spliced in later. But this article or the people running this poll uh, interviewed or, I guess, surveyed uh, almost 700,000 couples who reportedly got divorced in 2021 and it was according to the CDC and what they said was the biggest conflicts divorce couples encounter are number one career choices number two parenting differences the third was division of household labor number four was relationships with family five was relationships with friends six and here's the big one is finances and number seven was health choices and so it was um, it was very interesting because only 5% of the divorcees, I guess that's an antiquated term, but about the people getting divorced said that marriage could not have been saved in any way. So 95% said there might have been a way to get that marriage saved. And of course, you know, we always think it's nice if someone can sort of figure out a way to reconcile and stay married. I think that's always the best option. Uh, as opposed to just jumping into a divorce. But yeah. it was interesting saying only 5% said that there was no way their marriage could have been saved. And a whopping 63%, I'm quoting, said that having a better understanding of commitment prior to marrying could have helped them avoid divorce. Yeah. Or more than half said that if they had a better understanding of their spouse's morals and values prior to getting married, they might still be together. And so I thought it was very interesting because I think this ties into a few things, these themes that we've been discussing over the past few episodes. What should you know about someone before getting married? What are sort of right. the deal breakers? What are the binary sort of issues, one and zero? It's, it's, you, can't, you can't meet between one and zero. It's either one or zero. So right. are you aligned on these principles? And I think this, uh, in a different way, kind of suggests the same thing and the same conclusion as is, you know, Try and save it if you can, but there are certain things that you just can't overcome. This this reminds me of um, where you know, the Catholics are onto something when they have pre-cana, which is this process by which you're if you're going to get married in the Catholic Church, you're required to go through testing, and you consult with a priest who, I imagine deacons might do it too or whatever. But we had to talk to a priest in my first marriage, and you take a written exam. That's basically about your values. Like, do you want to have children? How many, you know, opinions about sex? Um, how often do you believe in going to church? It was a lot of, I, I thought, I was kind of surprised for the church. It was a pretty frank questionnaire for a 21-year-old kid to fill out. <laughs> you know, and a lot of things that maybe I hadn't even thought of necessarily or, or maybe talked about. And the whole idea is to get you to talk to your fiance about those issues. And it wasn't even a, there were some religious questions in there. Like, do you believe that child should, your children should be raised in the Catholic faith or a Christian faith? They, right. they asked some of those questions, but the majority of the questions were just money, work, like compatibility, sexuality, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Are you compatible baseline values? Right. Um, 
and I thought, and, and you got like a score ranking, you know, about your compatibility at the end. And I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, and, you know, we found ours was pretty compatible. We got married and you know, I was married like 24 years the first time. So I thought it was valuable. And I think that would be valuable for people considering marriage to do something similar, whether it's with a church or not, to discuss all those issues and think about things they may not have thought about to lay those things out on the table and I think when people are married the second time or they're going considering getting married the second time, they're much more upfront about that stuff because they learned their lesson and they want to tell people, hey, this is who I am, kind of take it or leave it. You know, I'm, maybe I'll change a couple things, but I, I have found, and that's where your, your thing, this other thing ties in where you say, we're going to talk about what you learned in your past relationship. That's another article we'll mention. Yeah. But knowing yourself, which if you had a relationship not work out, Hopefully you learned a lot about yourself from that and you're building on that knowledge and you carry that to the next relationship saying, okay, these are my negotiable things. These are my non-negotiable things. So let's be upfront about it. And I'm sure you have those. And uh, if they're, we're not okay, it's not okay. If they're okay, then great. But at least everybody knows walking into it, what we're getting into and there's no mystery. So I don't even know if young kids understand what full disclosure is because they don't even know these things about themselves yet and all right and that's the thing i was just thinking about that while you were mentioning this is is about the uh the catholic churches what do you think constitutional issues aside how would it be if when you go to apply for a marriage license they say you got to take this test they don't prevent you from getting your license because that would be completely you know improper but they say okay well based on this you guys are like not compatible so tread carefully but here's your license uh, you know, what do you think about something like that? I mean, you think that could work or do you think there's going to be some, you know, outcry? I don't know. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> that's a good question. Not not sure. But um, I there is a there's something to be gained by people having that conversation. One thing we talk about related to prenups, one side benefit of prenups is the conversation you have related to the prenup and that drags out or forces the discussion on these topics. So right. at least some of these topics, what are our expectations? And it's unpleasant, right? Oftentimes it could be unpleasant. Yeah. But those are important conversations to have because you don't want to go, excuse me, five, 10 years down the road and find out that we're not compatible. There's some major problem. Like you said, Oh, one of us wants to have children. The other one doesn't. That's a binary. That's a marriage ending situation. So one of the, about this article, though, I look at this and, it, and the list is like, number one, career choices, number two, parenting differences, like you said, division of household labor. Yeah, these are things people get into fights about or arguments about. But, you know, when there's a mutual respect and an interest in making the relationship work, people figure out ways to deal with these various issues. And I, to me, there's like an overarching thing that these are subsumed under. And and that is something like, if somebody asked me, what's the reason people get divorced? And I think I had this on Twitter a couple days ago on on my Twitter. I was going to say, did you see something on Twitter? Yeah. I think so. I think I posted my thoughts. And it was, when I do consultations, the, the vast majority of people say, you know, we fell out of love or some equivalent of that. You know, it's not fun anymore. They're not really into me. Uh, we're good roommates. There's, uh, there's not often people always expect there's all this animosity and there's like this explosion. Yeah, and that happens sometimes, but uh, many times when, by the time people come to us, that stuff's usually water under the bridge, or they're they might be past it to some extent. At least one of the two people is in the couple, but it's usually a much more mundane thing that they fell out of love or it just it's the magic's gone or whatever, and people don't know how to regain it. They've lost some mutual Mm -hmm. respect, you know, and yes, there are affairs. Yes, there are abuse situations and other things, but they, the more common thing or the initial root cause is this falling out of love thing. And these other things might contribute to it. They're like annoyances, right? They're like burrs under the The triggers. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, you You know, clean up after yourself. Right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, or my, my husband's family always dominates our life. You know, we're always going to their house. We never do anything with my family. Um, 
his her parents are always telling us what to do you know whatever mm-hmm. and the, the wife is siding with her family against the husband these these things all can accumulate but um, and it's anyway. never a one-time thing that sort of it's like the straw that breaks the camel's back right and like you said ultimately it probably just all ties into sort of what you had said it just eventually if, dissipates well it's that social contract you know i I think we've talked about this before and we'll talk about it again. Every marriage is every relationship has an unwritten social contract. And that is, it's always a two way street. So what are you getting out of the relationship? What am I getting out of the relationship? And it's best to make sure those terms are well known to each party in the deal. Because if you imagine the terms are X and Y and she thinks they're A and B, well, and everybody's just going along happily assuming that that's okay, then you're going to run into major problems down the road when you find out that isn't the case. Um, Or somebody changes the deal and they were potentially masquerading during the dating and like the courtship part. They were pretending they were cool with A and B or X and Y. And then they get married and they say, yeah, I'm not into that. Now that they figure they've got it locked down, that happens occasionally where they quote unquote changed, but maybe it was that they weren't really honest with themselves and the other person during the dating part of the relationship. And they Mm -hmm. pretended to be somebody they weren't because they liked so many of the other qualities in the other person. They wanted that relationship so badly that they kind of faked it till they made it. And then they make it and they're not liking it. And they don't want to fake it anymore. (laughs) And they don't like it anymore either. And they also don't want to keep faking it because it's getting harder and harder. And so that social contract when, when that breaks down, when people's needs are not met, that's when the trouble happens. And, the, and then emotions, the negative emotions come from people's needs not being met and those bad feelings arise. Feeling neglected, not loved, not respected, all those things. It all adds up. And it's stuff you learn in, like when you learn about nonviolent communication, we'll talk about it in another show. They talk about how all human needs are the same and we just feel them at different times and in different amounts. And um, it, it, I used to think it was kind of uh, hocus pocus until I learned about it and then realized it was true. And that's important to understand. And when those needs aren't met, man, their resentment builds up, their respect goes away, and you, got, you have big problems. And then they're calling us. So um, that's a good one. Thank you. Um, let's look. Got another one here. So tying into that, uh, I think his, we want to talk about like five signs you're going to, you're getting a divorce. And this is kind of like, if you're concerned about your relationship, you have like the hairs going up on the back of your neck. You're not sure. Your spidey sense. Yeah. Your spidey sense is tingling. You're not sure what's going on. There are some telltale signs that not necessarily your spouse is cheating on you, but that there are issues and these may be familiar to you or whatever, but they're, I think they're, they bear repeating. One is like, all of a sudden your spouse starts hiding or locking their phone. So you walk in the room and they flip the phone upside down or they lock their phone and they never used to have a password on the phone. Uh, maybe they got a new job and the, the job requires them to have a password, but the CIA and you need to be locked down. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if, if they all of a sudden get interested in security of their phone and now it's plugged in downstairs and it used to be plugged in on the nightstand, stuff like that, that's weird. And something may be going on. And it might not even be that there's cheating, but maybe they're complaining about you to a friend Uh or there's an emotional connection with somebody online, not even a a physical one, but that's a sign there's something potentially going on or they're secretive about their phone in general. And uh, there's lots of texting going on when they should be doing other things. And that when you ask, Hey, can I see your phone? They seem very weird about it. Like very defensive when they weren't before. Um, that's a tell, big telltale. And, and we're so hooked to our phones now. I've got mine here. Um, you know, we do everything on our phones. So it's attached to people. If they're weird with their phone now, you can, I think you can tell. Uh, next, unexplained. This one's a little easier, maybe. Unexplained late nights and weekends gone. Increase in work commitments after hours on weekends. All of a sudden, they're at work late a lot. Or they have a, you know, a work happy hour and they never used to go to them, you know. Again, not necessarily that they're cheating on you, but now they're interested in, they're putting in, they're investing time outside the marriage. 
they used to be happy to come home to you and the family. Now they're finding ways to avoid you and the family. Well, there's a problem. And uh, we'll, we've said this before, we'll say it again, a good marriage, a great marriage is better than a great divorce any day of the week. If you are seeing these signs, get your spouse to a counselor. First of all, get one for yourself to make sure you understand your own feelings and everything and suggest they get one, but ask them to go to a marriage counselor, get a good one and start airing out these issues. You've got problems and you've got to talk them through. And hopefully you catch the key is early detection, just like a disease. Finding out early means it's fixable. If it goes too long, it's too late. And the mistake we see, Rahul and I see all the time in our firm, by the time they see us, generally it's too late. They have crossed, an, a, a, you have to cross a huge emotional bridge to call a divorce lawyer or text a divorce lawyer's firm and have a consultation. It's, it takes a lot. People will say to us, boy, I can't believe I'm talking to you. You know, it took me a lot to call you and I, I can't believe I'm having this conversation. You know, these are people who've married 15, 20, 25 years. And so when you see trouble, don't sweep it under the rug. Don't try to ignore it, address it. You're showing respect to your marriage and to your spouse by paying attention to the signs. Okay. It's like stage two, stage three, stage four, and now you're terminal. And that's when you come, you know, that's when people come here. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unfortunate. So you, if you see it at stage one or stage two, there might be possible cures, yep. just like any disease. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's, that's a very good point. And we have enough to do without another divorce in the world. So that's like, people always right. say like, oh, you know, you just want more people. People actually, I talk about how I'm pro marriage and they think it's like some great business plan of mine to promote marriages so that I can do more divorces, which is insane. That's like, that's a real great business plan. Um, <laughs> so no, we have plenty to do. Thank yeah. You. I'll wait. Uh, I'll wait for them to get married then subsequently get divorced yeah, 15 years later. So I have a possible case. We, we need to retire, sense. you know, in a reasonable time. So we're not, I'm not interested in that. So that, that's what they call it is the, the funnel, the business funnel. That's too long of a funnel. We're, I'm not interested in waiting 15 or 20 years. We have plenty of work to do folks. So, uh, please stay married. And, you know, you know? And, and oftentimes when people call you, you know, a, a lot of, uh, it's like many times if, if I hear their story, I'll say, before we get any further, can we reconcile here? Yep. Is that possible? Can you get back together? Could some therapy do it? Because again, we don't have to necessarily divorce everybody who walks into our door. If you can stay married, that's the best endorsement ever. Yep. Or, uh, like you said, a better, a good marriage is better than a good divorce. We've, we've had reconciliations. My very first divorce, they remarried each other two years later. And we've had cases where they called off the case and stayed married. And that's great. And so that's, uh, if we can help people avoid this stuff, then that's good too. So who and that always makes us happy to hear that. Yeah. Well, who better to help you avoid it? Just like when, you know, there's a Dr. Philip Ovadia shout out to Dr. Ovadia who has a book about avoiding his operating table. And he's a heart surgeon. He talks about healthy eating and all this stuff you can do to avoid getting it. You know, he's busy enough. He doesn't want another patient to come in if they can avoid it. So we're trying to do the same thing. If we can help with a little bit of prevention, then we're doing a good job. So a couple other things to look out for. Um, money moves that are unexplained. So some money's mysteriously missing from the joint account. Where'd it go? You know, no explanation or foggy explanation. Or your spouse starts taking out large amounts of cash from the ATM on a regular basis, and they used to need 100 bucks a week, and now they're pulling out 400 bucks a week, 500 bucks a week, it's, and it's unusual. They're probably putting in a separate account somewhere, and they think it's a clever way to sort of hide it. So um, it, money moves are weird. That could be something, too. The sudden, uh, suddenly, your spouse is interested in the gym, and they're buying new clothes and they're getting on a fitness kick. Well, that's great, that's a positive thing, but if it was just, if it's totally out of character and it doesn't seem like it's prompted by anything, then, you know, it's positive, but be concerned that there's something else behind it. They're, what are, what's going on? What are they looking for? Is there a concern uh, to look, you know, is there a relationship outside or what is motivating that? And maybe it is, is it all. health reasons or is it, you know, all of a sudden after 12 years of not looking at a dumbbell, now you're a gym rat, it, it, you know, people don't change that, that, um, you know, 
Well, that, they don't do a 180 that that much. That's it's, right. It's, and there's one, something happening. One thing I've always said is times change, people don't. And that's, uh, it's so true. It's very, very hard for people to change, you know, fundamentally. And it's the diet book and fitness industry is testament to that fact. If people could change easily, the multi-billion dollar diet and fitness industry would not exist because I can give you the best diet and fitness advice right now in 10 seconds. And that is eat fewer calories than you burn and be active at least, you know, half an hour a day, <laughs> lift heavy weights five, uh, three to five days a week. Uh, there it is. I solved your fitness problem. And you know, but we have a multi-billion dollar fitness and health industry because humans have a very hard time changing their ways. Well, so when you see something major change like that, something's going on. Uh, another one. And the, your, uh, oh, are you going to say something? I was going to say, and your brain might tell you, hey, we need to start working out. You might do it for a day or two or even a week or a month. You'll stop at some point, unfortunately, unless there's some extrinsic motivation and yeah. this could be that motivation so well, you know some people do get religion and they so to speak and they feel they their health is they're not in good shape and they genuinely want to get in good shape and take care of themselves and there are many there are positive obviously positive things here but just it's one of many things to watch out for and on top of that I wanted to mention is just generalized self-interest that is your spouse all of a sudden is very into themselves keeping to themselves spending time alone um, taking the dogs for a walk when they never did that before, or it's rare, uh, going running on, on long runs, kind of tying into the fitness thing, but a lot of solitary time and, uh, self-interest now, you know, again, clothes, fitness, all that kind of stuff. And it's sort of like, well, what's that about? And, and less attention to the other spouse is probably a big thing. So, um, one thing that I think is worth noting is uh, there's a theory that this one author had about your number rating and your spouse and everybody knows you know zero to ten right like a ten is perfect visibly or whatever and a zero is not well we kind of know from you know anecdotally or whatever that for men and women it's a little different right so women rate guys to some extent on looks to some extent financial career things like that Men generally kind of consider women mostly from a biological hardwired standpoint from looks and child rearing ability. It's kind of how we're biologically wired. And I'm not saying anything scandalous. This stuff is on the Discovery Channel and you can Google it and everything else. Yeah. And, and so these are kind of the way things are. Well, generally, people kind of like finds like. Generally, people kind of marry at their number more or less within a ballpark. So like if you're an eight, you're probably going to be married to an eight in those worlds. So if you think about it, it's generally true. Well, and I talk about this in my upcoming book that I'm working on. So if your number ranking falls relative to the other spouse, they may resent that. And that could be that you're not working. You're not putting an effort at the job anymore. You're not putting an effort with the children. You know, your number rating is kind of a combination of a lot of things to your spouse, and they're not even thinking about it that way. But again, it's like loss of respect. You know, yep. are you were even when you got married, but are you carrying your share of the load? Are they carrying their share of the load, so to speak? You're getting lazy, right? I mean, yeah, they don't. Maybe they're not looking good. They're not taking care of themselves. Their health isn't good, and it's self-inflicted. They're not helping around the house. They're not taking care of their job. Um, the ambition they showed when you were married is gone. These things all can screw up a relationship. And so when I see that article about those points, I think that's those contribute, but I think it's this map. How that affects the rating system. Yeah. It's like this macro thing that that's out there. So anyway, I, really I thought that was interesting. So these are five things. So hiding the phone, unexplained late nights and weekends, money moves that are unexplained sudden purchase of new clothes, interest in the gym, that kind of thing. And then they're just self-interested in general and no longer taking help. But, you know, they're not helping with the kids as much. They're not interested in family activities. They're, they're not paying attention to you. They don't want to go on date night, you know, that, things like that. So anyway, I thought that was useful for folks to know. Um, 
what um to li- to lighten this up speaking of when somebody's paying attention to somebody else i thought that you had this interesting uh tinder date thing and tying into our tinder theme we we want to make sure we keep up with crazy tinder dates and you had one to talk about that was interesting yeah so this was uh from the uh, the uk mirror here and it said that uh or the title of the article was man shocking request when the tinder date says she doesn't want to see him again or, or something to that effect <laughs> basically the gist of it is guy meets the girl on tinder <coughs> and, and this is again in the uk it's not here so uh he sees her and then they go out to a to a bar or a restaurant he buys a drink for about we'll say dollars they're they're talking about it in pounds pound sterling but we'll say dollars so he buys a drink for two dollars she orders a larger drink according to him for about ten dollars and they have this nice time what did you get like and a coke and she got like a, a martini or something a was- martini or margarita and he got like a a Bud Light, you know, yeah. and so they had they had this date, and then they said goodbye. They left, and then he sends her a message again saying, "Hey, can I, I enjoyed myself? Can I? When can we see each other again?" She responds, "Hey, it was a great time. I had a lot of fun." And I'm paraphrasing here. I had a lot of fun, but you know, I think we should just be friends. I, I don't think there's any uh, chemistry here, and I, I don't you know think this is going anywhere. Oh snap! So then. So, so he was faced with some rejection. Uh, he, you know, he doesn't have as much game as he thought, I guess. So, so now he's offended. His ego took a little bit of a hit. So then he says, well, you know, that's fine, but I just want to make sure you understand that when we went out, I know I had a $2 drink and for some reason you insisted on having this very expensive, large $10 drink. And I don't think that was cool. I thought it was completely unfair. And so I'm going to want you to repay me my $10 that I spent on you. And um, the article basically ended saying, you know, <laughs> looks like he's going to have to keep waiting. So. <laughs> totally confirming the, the girl's <laughs> opinion about this loser. Nice move, dude. Yeah, right. No, Did, have you seen Super Troopers? Yeah, no, no, I haven't. But Okay, well, that's a great movie, a cult favorite. But it's at the beginning of it, it's like, the, you know, if I was to paraphrase it, this was this, what that reminded me of was – they, uh, this group of kids are driving and they get pulled over by these cops who are just pranking them. So then the kids in the car had a bunch of uh, drugs in their possession, some, you know, some mushrooms and some other stuff, some marijuana, things like that. So the kid, one of the kids is like, you got to eat it to the last. To the, by the way, we're the, not the, condoning the drugs here, ladies and gentlemen. Terrible. <laughs> yes. No, don't do drugs. No. Uh, you know, uh, Tells the guy, hey, you got to eat all this before the cops get here. So this poor guy eats all of it. And oh, then the cops come and then they and then they just kind of give him a hard time and then they leave. And the guy's like, man, you must have eaten like $10 worth of X and $10 worth of Y and $10 worth of Z. That guy's like, yeah, I did. That's, he's like, that's crazy. So you're going to like owe me like $30 when we get home. Perfect. <laughs> So that's kind of what I thought of. I'm yeah. like, well, you didn't have a good time. Now you owe me ten dollars. Oh so man, I thought no. it was just uh, another another dating, another loser. Yeah. On uh, and this is what again, guys wonder why they struggle with dating. It's like this is sort of basic stuff, guys. Um, you don't get the money. Yeah, back. Any hopes of winning her back, not anymore. Yeah, you don't get the money back. That's uh, that's what we call a sunk cost in economics, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Um, okay. So. Uh, that, by the way, link to that story in show notes for those of you who want the gory details. Um, <laughs> all right. So this is – we got another uh, interesting one here. This is tying into breakups, I guess, and, and divorce and in also dating that doesn't go well. There's an interesting article in Psychology Today that is in the show notes too, and it was uh, what you can learn – about yourself from past lovers. This uh, was published by, um, looks like Ray Parker in Psychology Today. Or no, I'm sorry, Susan Whitbourne is a PhD. She's a psychologist. And uh, she put out this really interesting article and talked about the benefits of learning from your past relationships. And I think um, you know, a lot of people chalk up divorce or a, bre- a breakup is a loss put it in the L column, you know, but any professional sport, any sports team from high school through pro teams and any 
any military unit of any significance after a combat action, for example, or training actions, they always do a wash up or a review. They watch the video, they review the plays and they go over what went wrong and what went right. And the idea is how do we improve and, and dating and relationships like anything else are a skill. There, there are skills involved and it's a muscle that can be exercised like anything else. And being self-aware in your relationships, whether they're business relationships or friendships or a romantic relationship is, is hugely important. And this person says um, in the article, understanding that you know the, don't need to suppress those memories, that those bubbling up to the top, even in another, a newer relationship are fine. And understanding that nostalgia has benefits. And there's a study they cite in here saying that um, the more you're motivated to reach goal, or the more you're motivated to seek goals, the more you'll tend to reach them. And positive thoughts about your relationship can increase the desire to connect with your current partner. They can help you see yourself as growing psychology, psychologically, I should say. And understand that you're somebody who is sort of deserving of intimacy or somebody who's sort of a bit able to reach, have an intimate relationship with somebody. And um, I thought that it was, um, it's, it's important to understand the learning potential of those past relationships and not just try to shut them out. And, and that's really the gist of the whole article. And I thought that was pretty cool. So, yeah, I think it is. I mean, you don't, you know, want history to repeat itself necessarily in this, in this instance, you want to make sure you, if you, if you take a test and you, you know, your driving test and you make a few mistakes and you fail, right. You want to make sure you think about those mistakes the next time you're taking the next test so that you don't repeat those mistakes. Now you might have other mistakes, but not those ones. And, and what they say is it's like impossible to disentangle who you are now from your past experiences with your ex. It's just baked into who you are and you can't unwire that or undo it. And so understanding right. that's natural is a good thing. And one thing they do say is there is a point where you go too far and that's continued contact with an ex, like dwelling on the ex too much. And, you know, we might say, well, that's obvious, but there is a point where you go over the line and you're, you're kind of obsessed with the ex and the former relationship. It's what they're saying is, Hey, learning from the past, having those thoughts now and now and again are natural and you will benefit from that ultimately in the big picture understanding it, it can get obsessive. If you go too far, that's not good. So I thought that was right. pretty good. It's, it's not is, a long yeah. read, useful. And uh, I thought that was cool. Yeah. So um, then uh, we'll talk about a dating trend thing. But before that, we want to talk about something that's more substantial. We always like to talk every show, something about a little more detail in divorce. And this one is a little controversial we're not, we don't want to talk about boring stuff you can Google. We're, we want to talk about sort of our opinions about these things that happen and sort of jerky moves people make, why, why this stuff happens, maybe why it should happen. And so I stopped teasing it. What we're talking about is orders of protection or what are known as restraining orders or emergency restraining orders in other jurisdictions and when they're used to kick off a divorce. So what I mean is, in Illinois, we have a thing called an, a temporary restraining I'm sorry, we have an order of protection under the Domestic Violence Act. And the intention is to create a tool for someone to go in on an emergency basis who is a victim of domestic violence and get a court order without having to serve the other person with notice so they can get it very quickly, like the same day they can run into court and get an emergency order. It only lasts 21 days. And then the other person has to get served that order and given notice and an opportunity to have a full hearing on the facts so they can have a chance to get rid of the order or have it modified. If the other person wasn't telling the truth or not telling all of the truth, they're going to get a chance to say their piece. And they're even allowed to accelerate that hearing sooner if they're able to do that. They don't have to wait the 21 days to have a hearing in Illinois. Now, an order of protection, I call it a nuclear bomb because it's kind of the most um, draconian or serious order that you can get in a, in a divorce case or in a case involving, let's say, in a civil case. And it has some criminal implications. 
So if you violate an order protection, usually involves a, a no contact component. So you can't contact the, the object of the order. So that's, let's say the spout, the person who says they're the victim. Usually there's, that includes children. So it protects children from contact. And that includes staying a certain distance away, usually kicking them out of the house where they resided. And, um, and they can't contact the people through third parties either. They can't use their brother to come by and bug you or, or contact you online either. There's a lot of, it's, it's a real, it's a solid wall between that person and you and the kids. <clears throat> and it can be had by filing the, the thing in the morning online and going in in the afternoon and testifying briefly in front of a judge. So it's, it's easy to get. It doesn't cost much of anything to file. And it causes a very serious outcome very quickly. So it can be used for good or for nefarious reasons. And uh, usually it's used for good. And po folks, usually women, not always, but mostly females, victims of domestic violence will use these orders to try to, you know, to get a handle on the situation and protect them and their children, themselves and their children uh, immediately upon an a domestic violence incident happening. They call the police and then they go to, after that is immediately dealt with, they can go to court and get some short-term relief while things get sorted out. So the other portion of it is if the subject of the order violates the order, they can be criminally charged and, and jailed. So it has teeth in it that are very serious. They also get their guns taken away. So if there's a concern about firearms, they can get their firearms taken away. So it has a lot of serious implications, and they're very hard to get back, by the way. Uh, I know from cases we've handled in the past. Um, they take your FOID card away. You're, in Illinois, you have a card that allows you to possess firearms. They take that away, and it's very hard to get back, and it takes months, if not years. And you're caught in all this bureaucracy. Yes. And so it can be used positively or the way it's supposed to be used when people are victims of domestic violence and they can go in and convince the court that they should have an order of protection entered. And then typically you might see a divorce case filed, which isn't unusual in the domestic violence situation. And then the, the order of protection, that case gets rolled into the divorce case. Sometimes it doesn't, it depends on the jurisdiction. So, and your mileage may vary. We're talking about Chicagoland. If you're in another state, it's maybe a different system, but they're, they're similar. And here's what we're talking about. That's sort of the school of dirty tricks thing that we have seen is when it is not a domestic violence situation, when the people are just maybe arguing or something, and maybe they're not even doing that. And the spouse wants to kick the other person out of the house and sort of seize control of the situation and paint them to be a bad person. They go get an order of protection. They make up stuff that they tell the judge because they know the other party's not going to get a chance to speak up. They get the emergency order. They might not have even hired a lawyer. They don't need to get a lawyer to do this. And, and then they get the order. It's a total surprise to the other person. They can't contact the children. They can't contact their wife, their spouse. They have to go find a place to live for three weeks, sometimes more. And it's rough, obviously. And that's a hell of a difficult way to find out you're getting divorced. Then the other person maybe gets a lawyer and files a divorce case. So there are people who might not be telling the truth that can use this for the wrong reasons. And also, I don't think they realize how serious the order of protection is, because one thing we'll find is the person who gets the order will, will start reaching out to the former, soon to be former spouse, trying to get them to take the kids and stuff. I'd say, well, can you have the kids for the weekend or whatever? And, and the order is a complete ban. These orders are like total bars. That's why I call them nuclear bombs. There's no middle and uh, rarely. And a lot of times when we, you know, Rahul, maybe you can describe like what happens in the divorce cases when they get rolled in. Like, what do we normally do in those cases when let's say the OP, we call them OPs, is too much. And really it maybe was needed the, at the initial moment, but everything calmed down and the order is too much later on. 
Right. So when it becomes a, so, regardless of whether or not it was legitimate or illegitimate, once it's rolled into the divorce, now the divorce court has jurisdiction. So the order of protection judge, at least in Illinois here in the Chicagoland area, can either grant or deny your order of protection, and can only stay within that world. Now a divorce judge has a lot more flexibility to be creative. So what they typically do is is they can make additional orders for things like parenting time or coming back home to get some of your belongings or uh, or having additional sort of telephonic contact with uh, with the protected party, at least only to talk about the kids or to make sure you can talk to the kids, so on and so forth. So I think the court has a lot more flexibility there. They can also sort of oftentimes what they also try to say is, look, you don't really need an order of protection. This is more about just making sure he doesn't bother you anymore or she doesn't bother you anymore. So why don't we just get a, why don't we get rid of the order of protection and say you guys are going to mutually stay away from each other. So there's no contact, no unlawful contact with each other. It's mutual. You don't talk bad about him. He doesn't talk bad about you. Uh, you know, you'll talk about the kids and that's it. Just basically, you know, play nice, basically, yeah. is what they end up doing. So that, that's also an option that the courts can often employ. Yeah, and we, we try to de-escalate the situation once we assess what's going on and we find out, okay, nobody hit anybody else. It, it wasn't terrible. Somebody might have jumped the gun on the order of protection. Hopefully we can negotiate something less and make the order of protection go away and instead have some restraining order in place that's a civil order that doesn't have the criminal stuff. Right. And because the that, criminal stuff is what can really get you. Yeah. And then, you know, now we've got somebody that might be out of a job and, you know, now we can't pay child support and we have like all these follow on things that people don't think through that are the ripple effects from, you know, we've had cops that get their guns taken away. Can't be a cop without a gun. And the guy can't be an officer or the lady can't right. be an officer if they can't possess firearms. We've had that happen. And, and it wasn't that extreme of a situation that necessitated that. It's like all they wanted was to stop uh, or have the person be out of the house for a while because it was like a tense situation. They felt upset. But nobody was hitting anybody. Nobody's in danger of hurting anybody. And it was over the top to get an order of protection. So, well, well, the other part of that we don't know often people don't really think about is that they just thought of this is, is how does that affect you? So if you're out of the house, you now have to get a place to stay. Let's figure, let's presume for, you know, for this purpose that you have the financial means for it. You, you know, it sucks, but you have to do it. Now you can't go rent a place because you have an order of protection on your background. You know, when they run a background check for rental places, they'll say, well, this guy or this gal has a domestic violence issue. We don't want to rent our house or our unit to somebody who might have this kind of stuff happening. Right. Like, it, it, you know, so that also then affects you and any potential employer you might have can say, oh, this guy had to run in with this. I, yep. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want him to cause problems in the office. So right. it can have a rippling effect even beyond just this sort of, you know, primary issue. Well, that's like when I think we talked in a previous show about going to running to HR or going to your spouse's employer to, to say they had an affair with somebody in the company or whatever, and you might be a do-gooder and you just cut your own throat and you, you blew up your soon to be ex's career for what, you know, you're, you may want to get support from that person and um, they'll have their own problem. You know, it's like you got enough problems as it is. You don't want to buy more of them. So that's, that's something to keep in mind. And, Obviously, we're not make passing judgment on anybody's situation here. It, it's no. extremely case by case basis and super fact specific. We are admitting that there are perfectly valid there are perfectly valid orders of protection issued every day that our people deserve to have entered and need them. And we've advised clients. We're like, you need to go get an order of protection right now because Correct. we, as lawyers, we're not police officers. Yes. We can't really do much more than uh, do something in a courtroom or file pleadings. Right. So we tell them, you call the police or you go get an order of protection right now. Yep. But in the same vein, we tell people this, you know, th this order of protection that when they come to us, we'll say this order of protection is look bogus or they, they ask us, should I get an order of protection? We tell them, no, not for something like this. We'll have to assess it on a case by case basis. So we're not telling you yes or no, don't do it or yes, do it. It's got to be completely assessed and think yeah. about all the different factors. Unfortunately, in my opinion, there are lawyers that encourage the clients to go when they shouldn't. And they're even part of it when they shouldn't be. 
And I don't, I don't agree with that. And I know there are cases where it happens. Uh, we're not naming names, but it happens. And it, it's ugly, and I don't like Unfortunate. it. And yeah, and it's, um, you know, they think it's real cute, like where we're going to kick this off with a bang. And the client, feel their client feels good for the short term, like, yeah, I really punched them in the face, you know. And it ends up, the blowback is serious. And also, if you ever thought about settling the case, what did you just do to the chances of settling the case reasonably? You just kicked them back 100 miles because now the person hates you for throwing you out of the house or throwing them out of the house and they're, they don't have any clothes. They got, you know, they got nothing, stuff in a jewel bag or whatever, garbage bag, and they can't see the kids now for three weeks and they've been demonized immediately. So just be careful what you wish for with that stuff. And there, we understand there's shades of gray, obviously. And there are right times to do it and there are also wrong times to do it. We've just seen wrong times and wanted to say something about how this all works. And um, it's it's important to know. So we call it the OP kickoff. It's like kicking off a divorce case with an order of protection. Could be perfectly legit. Could also be a not cool way to start a divorce case and a, a bad way to do it. So we're going to talk about a, a trend that's, uh, I guess, appropriately called it. We, we like to talk about these dating trends that are on social media. Again, uh, the disclaimer is, we don't really know if these are new, but just people apply cute labels to them on TikTok and on social media. And, you know, we're here to help you out. Is our, you know, we're providing this free service. And by the way, um, all we ask in this, we put a lot of work into this show every week. And all we're asking for is that you like subscribe, hit the subscribe button and like, share, follow, you know, tell your friends about the show. You might not love every part of it, but look through the, the show notes and see there. I think you'll find something you like in every episode. And Tell your friends about it. Share it, please, because that's how this makes sense for us to do. And we want to provide this as a service to everybody and give you some fun stuff to listen to and some informative things to listen to and uh, leave you with something useful at the end. So thank you. So one thing I want to end with here is uh, this new TikTok dating trend called Master Dating, appropriately named. So the idea is this is an article in Psychology Today, one of my favorite uh, sources, and it's... Um, this is published by Bruce Lee again. I think now Bruce Lee, I think we quoted him in a previous uh, episode. So Bruce, not the karate master. Yeah, Bruce is not the karate, not the, I think Kung Fu, but yeah, not the, not the to be confused with the martial arts king, but uh, Bruce Lee killing it with the dating trends. Here's another one. And uh, maybe we can get him, maybe we could get him on the show and interview Bruce Lee with his hey, talk. Here. That would be something. Um, I'm going to reach out to him. Okay. Master dating is going on dates alone, hence the term to get to know yourself better and take care of yourself. Master dating can re reveal whether you can actually be yourself rather than always needing a partner. Taking out time for self-reflection and self-care can help your health and life in many different ways. You can't find the right partner in relation with about better knowing and taking care of yourself. Now, to give us credit, this is all tying into this theme of understanding your past relationships and learning from them so apparently master dating is, I guess, before you jump into that new relationship, maybe go out on your own and see how it feels and see if you can't stand it being alone or if you're okay by yourself. And um, this, and Dr. Lee says, be very careful when you pronounce this word that's become a new TikTok dating trend. After all, when you tell others you are master dating because you're tired of the dating scene, they might get the wrong idea. Good point, Dr. Lee. Um, so he says, uh, spend quality time alone to get to know yourself well. And I, I think there's value to that. Now, one thing that, you know, we've all heard is be leery about jumping into another relationship on the rebound, right? And really what this is, which proves our point, there's probably nothing new to this trend. It's just a cute name. The fact is, it's good to take a little downtime between relationships, review what you've learned, figure out what you really want and take a breath and then find the next thing rather than jumping into a rebound thing. Cause we all know that tends to have a, a low chance of success long-term, right? So um, introspect a little bit, I guess yeah. is what it is, right? Yeah, exactly. Being introspective. So the person says, uh, asking yourself for a date can help indicate whether you're somebody's always needs a partner to feel happy, confident, fulfilled, which can be a recipe for unhealthy attractions and relationships. Good point. And I think it's good also to review your friendships 
and reconnect with friends, finding that healthy balance between the romantic relationship in your life and your friendships and work sort of that three, it's like a three tiered or three legged stool, you know, you know, do you have that, all those elements going in your life, people, you know, at work, people you have as friends, I guess family would be the fourth leg. Right. And then your close romantic relationship, maintaining that balance between the four. And that's really what this goes to. That was a good point. You know, I, Again, is it new? Not really. Is it worth talking about and, and, and cute? Yeah, it's cool. So I think uh, I saw something like that. Uh, I think that's very interesting because I saw, yeah. you, you know, you have all these like Instagram philosophers, right? So <laughs> they'll always, uh, you know, these older like people who have these like me, uh, not memes, but like they have these like quotes that they post. So yeah. it reminds me of one I saw where someone was like, the best friend you ever have is right inside your head. You know, you should be alone with them for a little bit and just see what they have to say. Don't try to always shut them out by yeah. keeping them occupied. Just well, let them talk to you for a while. So. Well, yeah. And you know, what's interesting is you spend 12, 13, 14 years of your life alone. When you're a kid, you're, you've got your parents, but you don't have a romantic relationship at all and you're just fine. And yep. so, the, you know, it, it's doable. It's not a problem. It's just interesting that, you know, some of us get very hungry for that romantic relationship and probably jump too fast. And as an aside, I looked at uh, Dr. Lee's bio, Bruce Lee, MD, MBA, Dr. MBA, yeah. impressive, is a writer, journalist, professor, systems modeler, computational and digital health expert, physician, avocado eater, and entrepreneur. We got to get this guy on the show. Yes. So anyway, that's it for a week. So I thought it was interesting. So that's the pod. Thanks, everybody. I hope you liked it. Um, please like, follow, share, and uh, ask us questions. We like seeing the comments. That helps us with our doing better for you in the shows. And uh, as always, I'm Rafe Palmer, and that's Rahul Iyer. Thank you very much. Until next time.